Hi, everybody. This is Chris Roussel, the rector of St. John's Episcopal Church in beautiful Lynchburg, Virginia. And this is Ben Kogel, deacon and curate at St. John's. And this is Sarah Weatherly, director of youth and family ministries here at St. John's. And this is our podcast called One More Thing. you guys I'm good good I'm really excited today uh, we we start with the collect um, for the week that just passed the past Sunday it is one of my absolute favorite collects mm. it always comes it's collect 28 and it comes at the end of our liturgical year right Me too. The, 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 the it's so rich with um, I don't want to say imagery, but it's just rich with such a such a beautiful message. So let's just jump into it. Alrighty. I'll offer that collect as our opening prayer, and then we'll chat about it a little bit. So let's see what stands out. The Lord be with you. And also with you. Blessed Lord, who caused all holy scriptures to be written for our learning, grant us so to hear them, read, mark, learn, and inwardly digest them, that we may embrace and ever hold fast the blessed hope of everlasting life, which you have given us in our Savior, Jesus Christ, who lives and reigns with you and the Holy Spirit, one God, forever and ever. Amen. All right. Anything stood out to you guys? To be written for our learning. Mm. Mm. Yeah. Yeah. And then all the ways that he wants us to learn them, reading them, hearing them. Marking them up. Yeah. I love yeah. that one, marking them up, right? Because mm-hmm. if, 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 if there's not a time or a place where we have our Bible uh, and we don't have a pencil or a pen in our hand at some point, mm-hmm. you know, I, I, so I have a Bible that's set aside just for me to mark up. Mm-hmm. I've got a Bible that, that's crisp and clean and, and you know, I, I can pray with, I'll yeah. study with. Um, but then I've got one that is dog-eared and tattered, and I've got highlights in it and underlines in it. Um, and what's amazing is that over time, I go back to that particular Bible that's marked up, and I'll see something that's underlined, and, and, and I'll remember what it was that stood out about that particular um, phrase or passage at that point in my life. And so we, it, it, this invitation to mark up our Bible, so often we think, oh, the Bible, you know, it's, it's so sacred, and it is, that I shouldn't write in it. Actually, this prayer is inviting us just yeah. to do that, right? And they have a whole cottage industry of journaling Bibles. <laughs> just yeah, saying. I actually looked at some from Amazon. Did yesterday. you really? Yeah, I demanded yeah. ordering one. Well, so the challenge is, and this is, I'm, I'm talking to you, uh, major publishing companies. The challenge is, all the journaling Bibles are in versions that are not the versions the Episcopal Church reads. What do you they, mean? They, they're in the King James Version, oh. the New King James Version, the NIV, the ESV, which are all other translations that lots of Christians read, but we read the NRSV. Uh-huh. And the NRSV is seen as more academic, and I don't know why. I would think that academics would be the most likely to write in their Bibles, not the least likely. And so I think the NRSV needs a bunch of cool, nice journaling editions. All right. Well, so sounds, that we can mark them. Sounds like there's a publishing house out there who can sell at least one of those Bibles. That's right. Yeah. Well, they've they've recently come out with an NRSV that's a journaling Bible in the last year, but for 
you know, the last 10 years is when this publishing boon of journaling Bibles came out. So they were behind the times. But that's my personal opinion. That's not related to the collect. Personal <laughs> gripe. Sorry yeah, about well, that. It all, it all fits in. Yeah. <laughs> I, I also my, like that phrase in this collect, inwardly digestible. Mm, um, so in our diocese of southwestern Virginia, uh, Bishop Mark and the diocesan team are very, very good about um, beginning conferences and gatherings with dwelling in the Word. Like Ciodina, right. a spiritual discipline that we covered in one of our very first episodes of this season. That's right, episode three. Absolutely. And so inwardly digesting them is uh, to take it in and to really uh, roll it around, mull it over in our heart, our mind, and our soul. That's awesome. Yeah. Yeah. It also points, inwardly digesting them, points us towards the topic for today's spiritual discipline. Which is? Go for it, Sarah. Oh, okay. The Eucharist. <laughs> 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 So wait, before we get started on the Eucharist, isn't the Eucharist a sacrament? It's not a spiritual discipline, it's a sacrament. Why can't it be both? Yeah. I don't, I, it's not, because that's not something I do. I show up to church and somebody does it for me, so it's not something I'm doing. So tell me why the Eucharist isn't, so tell me why the Eucharist is a sacrament, what's the sacrament, and tell me why I should be disciplined about it. Okay. okay. <laughs> <laughs> it's like one of those professorial rhetorical questions. Yeah, like that's what I'm getting like, from. Like you, you, you've got, <laughs> and then I just want to sit there in silence. Like, yeah, you've got this great what? answer built up. So, how about it, how professor? About it? <laughs> that, <laughs> is, that is not the answer I wanted. Your students are sitting in silence. They yes. need your answer. Oh, mm. master. Mm. Some of my favorite professors do use that style, so I guess I am imitating. Uh, some of them. Is that the Socratic method? That's I don't know what it is. Method. I will not respond. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Yeah. Sarah, the teacher here, telling me that I'm not being a good teacher. <laughs> it's too intimidating. <laughs> well, I asked that question because I think it is a real question that we should talk about. Um, the Eucharist is a sacrament. Um, a sacrament is the shorthand of the Episcopal Church is an outward and visible sign of an inward and spiritual grace. Right. right? So for us, the outward invisible sign is bought is the bread um, and wine, right? It's the elements, as we call them. The inward and spiritual grace is the presence of Christ, what we call the real presence. Uh, and so for us, the Eucharist and all the sacraments are places where we know God shows up, right? We believe as Christians that God shows up everywhere, but that the sacraments are set aside, they're set apart because they are uh, a sort of a guarantee that God shows up there. Well, last week, Episode 7, we mm -hmm. talked about a sacrament, reconciliation. That's right, we did. And we talked about that as a, uh, as a spiritual discipline. Mm -hmm. So mm -hmm. there's, there, it's not a foreign idea that a sacrament would be a spiritual discipline. That's right. And I think the difference here, right, is that the sacrament of reconciliation confession is not a normative, I'm using air quotes, a yeah. normative sacrament in the Episcopal Church, right? So people have to seek that out. They have to choose that. It's one-on-one. Right. -on -one. It's right. not a community-wide. We're not all doing it together every week. Whereas the Eucharist, as the central act of, the, the principal act of worship in the Episcopal Church, as the central act of our faith, is something that a lot more Christians experience, whether Episcopalian or not. And so Eucharist, communion, the Lord's Supper, et cetera, et cetera, whatever you want to call it, 
Um, this is more of what I would call, again, using air quotes, normative. Um, and so it is possible, I think, to be a casual Christian, right? To be one who comes to church, you come, you hear the sermon, you take the Eucharist, and you don't uh, wrestle with it, you don't uh, approach it with reverence, you don't really, you're just doing it, right? You're doing it the same way you go to the grocery store. It's just sort of something you pro, do every pro week. Forma kind of becomes That's rote. right. Rote, a habit, yeah. if, if you might say. Although... I would like to make the. I, I agree with you. I don't, I'm not disagreeing. I'm not disputing. I agree 100%. I do believe, however, that our experience with COVID, with this pandemic, because the Eucharist has been um, unaccessible to a lot of people mm. because we were online only for so long, mm-hmm. and then when we went to back to the hybrid model and we had people in church, um, it's taken us a while to reintroduce the cup. Mm-hmm. And so people were receiving the host, the consecrated bread only. Mm-hmm. And, and that, of course, has the fullness of the Eucharist. You don't have to have both yeah. elements to receive the fullness That's of the right. Eucharist. But when people started, uh, had the opportunity to receive both elements. It what was I, so life-changing. I, wasn't it, though? Yeah. I texted you about it. Yes, you did. And I was like, that was just. It was powerful. It was really powerful. And you don't really think about it until you're missing it. Mm-hmm. You, you start to hunger for it mm-hmm. differently in its absence. Yeah. That's right. Right? And so what an incredible um, thing that has risen out of this out of this pandemic is this uh, reawakening and awareness and hunger for the Holy Eucharist so that we have gotten out of our perhaps we've gotten out of our rote um, tendencies. Yeah. I think that's true. Yeah. I mean, there's some other ways that you can prepare for the Eucharist, like not eating beforehand, praying Mm -hmm. beforehand. Yeah, so let's talk about that. So instead of coming to church just as an activity that we do, what, what might a spiritual discipline around the Eucharist look like, right? Because when you come to the Eucharist, certain things are going to happen, right? You're going to hear the Word of God. You're probably going to hear a sermon. Hopefully it's a good one. Um, <laughs> depends on who's preaching. Depends yeah. on if it's you know if who if I woke up on the right side of the bed or not, or if right. Chris woke up on the right, right side of the bed or not. I hope it would be on the right side of the bed on a Sunday. Could be yeah. the left side. You don't know. Yeah, you, you just know. don't know. <laughs> it, could be, but, it could be left or right, but it could be bad or it could Regardless, be you're going to hear the word of God. You're going to hear the the Eucharistic prayer, and you're going to receive the body and blood of Christ, the bread and wine. And so these are sort of the set things that everyone receives, whether it's the most spiritual they've ever felt and the most like eye-opening experience ever, like Sarah was talking about when she got the Eucharist for the first time in both elements, mm-hmm. um, or it's it's rote, right? It's just the 999th Eucharist you've ever received, and yeah. it's just ordinary, and it does not feel special. It feels like you dragged yourself out of bed in the morning. Mm-hmm. And so while we can't Spiritual disciplines are not for us to like guarantee an emotional response. However, by being intentional, right, by having discipline around whatever practice, we are setting ourselves up um, to build towards possibly having an emotional response, but also towards having a spiritual response. Does that make sense? Yeah, it does. So uh, what I'm hearing you say somewhat is that the preparation to receive Holy Eucharist is as much a spiritual discipline Mm -hmm. as receiving that's right, and that's what we want to talk about today, I think, is, is what does it look like to prepare to receive the Eucharist um, and to go to church, even, and uh, what does it look like in terms of your whole life, right? So not looking at the week-to-week or the day-to-day, but in terms of your 
year or your lifetime, what, is, what does it look like to integrate the Eucharist into that? Like, what does that practice look like on a bigger chronological scale? Well, and, and if we go to 1 Corinthians chapter 11, verse 27, Paul says, So then, whoever eats the bread or drinks the cup of the Lord in an unworthy manner will be guilty of sinning against the body and blood of the Lord. Mm. So there is, there is a scriptural um, exhortation by Paul, if you will, mm-hmm. that don't just walk up here and grab that bread and grab that cup. <laughs> you and just know, go on your merry way. Yeah, right? Don't do that. That's right. No. But we have to be uh, spiritually pure because, because we, are, we are meeting, we are coming into physical contact with the living God. God of the universe. That's right. In the appearance of bread and wine, of course. But we do believe, as Episcopalians, in the real presence of the body and blood of Christ in the Eucharist. And so to, to approach to approach that that purity, that life beyond life, if you will, that that resurrected and glorified body and blood of Christ. Because we're not talking about cannibalism. That used to be very confusing for me as a kid when I was when I would go to communion. I was like, "Well, what am I going to get? Am I getting Jesus's earlobe or his toenail? Or what, <laughs> what, what part of him am I getting?" Right? Gosh. What, what we're getting is the fullness of his resurrected and glorified body and blood. Mm-hmm. And so mm-hmm. that life beyond life is what we encounter. And so we should we should approach that with awe, reverence, and and uh, be duly prepared. The Eucharist is such a powerful sacrament because it does encompass so many uh, metaphors and images and have so many different levels and directions of meaning, right? It's kind of like if you look at the picture of the galaxy, right, and there's that bright bunch of stars in the middle, right? Mm-hmm. It's yeah. like, it's like, and there's this <clears throat> arms shooting off in different directions. Like that, that, that's a good image for, for what the different meanings of the Eucharist are like. There's different mm-hmm. avenues you can approach in all directions. And one of the ones for preparation that I like to bring up is is one of the ways we see the Eucharist is it's our participation in the body of Christ, mm-hmm. right? And so as the body of Christ, the exhortation by Paul and the whole book of Corinthians, right, is about being members of this body of Christ, right? You have the imagery of, you know, needing the eyes and the yeah. ears and the mouth and the nose, head, shoulders, knees, and toes. You have... <laughs> Um, you have all of the conversation about division within the body. There's this big fight about who was baptized by who. And so there's sex and Paul is saying, no, no, no sex. Like you're all baptized. Wow. That sounded bad. No sex with a T. Oh, S-E-C-T-S. Yes. Yeah. No you sections. Heard I heard it. it. Okay. I heard myself say it, and I, I, I regretted I'm, I'm it. Looking, I'm looking at your face, and I saw the, the little cartoon light bulb go off and go, yeah, I just heard that. Paul is saying that there should not be sections of Christian faith. I, I can't. <laughs> ah, well. Paul also says there's no there's no slave, there's no free person, there's That's right. no Jew, there's no Gentile, Thank you. there's no gender, no male, no female. So there mm-hmm. is no sex, according to Paul. Right? Yes. Uh, sex and gender yes Um, so let's move on back to the point Um, so Paul is saying in the whole letter but also in this specific verse that we need to work on our divisions we need to seek forgiveness um, before we come to the table right because the table the communion is the sharing of holy communion with all people that's why the common cup is such a powerful image right because we're not getting Mm -hmm you know, an individual sacrament for each of us, we are all sharing one body, one cup, right? That oneness is a huge part of the symbolism of the sacrament. Um, And so for us to come to that table, 
holding a grudge against our brother or sister who is also coming to that table, that, that is an opportunity for us to spiritually prepare by either offering forgiveness or asking for forgiveness, right? Right. And I, I'll tell you, you know, there's a, there's a part of the Eucharistic prayer in Rite 1 mm-hmm. that I like, where we bring, we bring before you uh, our souls and bodies. So mm-hmm. we're encountering both a spiritual and a physical reality. We are both physical and spiritual beings. And so uh, we're talking about you know, being spiritually prepared, but there's also some physical preparation mm-hmm. too, right? There are right. a lot of people who practice fasting at least one hour, sometimes more, before receiving Holy Eucharist. Yes, mm-hmm. and I'm one of those people. Tell me about that. I don't know. It started when I was in high school going to Catholic school and um, you know, I couldn't receive the Eucharist there because mm-hmm. I wasn't allowed to, but they're like, you can't eat before going to Mass. And I was like, why? Mm-hmm. And then I just really thought about it. I was like, you know, if I were going to be going to church, I'd want to be like fed spiritually in every single way by having the Eucharist. So why would I mix it up with like donuts or pancakes <laughs> or stuff like that when it's such well, like a holy thing? Right, why would I want to yeah. mix it up with that? So I try not to eat before having the Eucharist. Like confirmation Sunday was different because there was breakfast. And I was like, this is blasphemy kind of. Like, <laughs> for you. <laughs> and I was like, what is going on? Yeah. That is right. So that's like not a requirement or a law. No, uh, it's just but, like a but, personal. But it is. Preference. It's a personal. So that's part of your spiritual discipline. Mm-hmm. Because it doesn't it bring to uh, the forward uh, brings to your mind in a forward way uh, the idea that I am about to receive Jesus in the Eucharist. Yeah, and it's something so powerful, and like you don't realize how powerful it is until you're really craving some sort of thing that you're lacking in your life, and then when you have the Eucharist, you're like have this revelation of like, oh my gosh, that was amazing. God loves me. I can do anything mm-hmm. with Him. So right. That's kind of what I go off of. I just try not to eat beforehand. Yeah. I think there's a great spiritual discipline. Yeah. Even if I'm hangry, you know, it's okay. I'm going to be fed other ways. <laughs> Another way, I mean, the sacrament is really about presence right and the real presence is is another way we talk about the eucharist and so another way that god has made present to us and the primary way where we get to know god is through the reading of scripture right scripture is our access point to understanding um to story of jesus to understanding the story of god throughout the old and new testament right and it's the way that god through the holy spirit speaks to us a lot of the time and so at church before the eucharist we read scripture and we hear the word proclaimed to us, preaching uh, for for our day, for our time, for what's mm-hmm. going on in our context. Um, and so one of the other ways that we can spiritually prepare is so that we're not coming into this moment of hearing from God completely unaware. Now that we have tools like the lectionary and whatever, mm-hmm. we can actually look up those readings and read them the night before or read them the morning of if we are having breakfast before we get to church, right? Mm-hmm. So that's another way that I've seen people prepare for the Eucharist is they'll read the readings beforehand so that they are hearing them for the second time instead of for the first time so they can start to notice what stands out to them it's kind of like our Lectio Divina practice earlier right it part of the reason that it takes is because we read it more than once we hear it from more than one voice right yeah. so not only did we read it like we read the paper but we also hear it when the lectors read it to us when the deacon or priest who reads the gospel reads it to us and then we hear a third time in a way that the scriptures represented through the sermon um, and then, you know, the source and summit of it, we have the Eucharist. Yeah, and so 
Thanks for, for setting the stage for that, because yes, we hear the story from Scripture, we hear about who Jesus is, the things that he did, the message that he offered, uh, mm -hmm. how that is uh, you know, foreshadowed in the Old Testament and, and revealed in the New, and, and yet, we go back to Scripture, what we discover is that the resurrected Jesus is known by the breaking of the bread. That's right. Their eyes were somehow concealed. It's in the breaking of the bread that the resurrected Jesus is then revealed to his best of friends mm -hmm. and, and his and even family members. What story is that? That's the story from Emmaus, right? Yeah. <coughs> Ooh, God, Excuse me. God, the, road, the road to Emmaus in Luke. I think but, it's chapter 22. But also don't or forget 26. that when we go into Acts of the Apostles and we look at the early church, mm -hmm. that the, uh, the apostles were com committed to the fellowship and the prayers and the breaking of the bread. That's right. So those early, early disciples didn't just get together and read mm -hmm. scripture. Of course, at that point, there was mm -hmm. no New Testament mm -hmm. quite yet. Um, and so the breaking of the bread is how Jesus was revealed to Jesus' earliest disciples and, and continues to be revealed That's right. to us today. And we don't have time to really get into the full uh, biblical history of the Eucharist, right? We're, we're trying to focus on spiritual discipline, but it does, I think it does matter here to say that 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 meal that the early disciples were sharing was not something that usually happened. It wasn't a regular Jewish custom, right? It was something new. And that practice continues throughout the early church. We see it in the early church fathers' writings about celebrating the Eucharist, how they celebrated, and 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 it really has continued in a very real way, real way since you know year thirty three or year zero, whatever year you want to say it started. Um, that when we receive communion, we are joining with those all throughout that past history who have also received communion and been part of Christ's body and fellowship, right? So we are having communion with our grandparents and our great-grandparents and all those faithful that have come before us. And in a very real way, we are going to be receiving communion with those who come after us, right? Those communions that will come to our children and to our grandchildren, to our great-grandchildren, and those who are celebrating communion along with us throughout the church at the present moment. Um, whether that's in Africa or Asia or other parts of America, other denominations, et cetera, et cetera, right? And all of that, that whole body of Christ, past, present, and future, that's another way we talk about that is the communion of saints. And the foretaste of the heavenly banquet. That's right. right? So the, the connection, and I know you said we don't have time to go through all of the, the scriptural connotations of it, but I do want to point out <laughs> that the connection with our Jewish ancestors mm -hmm. is the fact that they celebrated annually that Passover meal. Mm -hmm. And that Passover meal was considered a remembrance, right? That's right. So even to this day, uh, uh, Jewish faithful who celebrate the Passover are not just... Um, reenacting what took place at the uh, moment the Exodus was inaugurated, mm -hmm. but rather they are participating in that one true and only Passover, that original, that first mm -hmm. Passover. And so when Jesus says to his disciples, this is my body, this is my blood, do this in remembrance of me. It's mm -hmm. not just, hey, remember that we did this together. It's participate mm -hmm. in, right. that, in that one last supper. Um, That's right. It is a it is a particip full participation in that one time action that Jesus uh, mm -hmm. participated mm -hmm. in and shared with his disciples. Right. We're not 
re-sacrificing no, Jesus. Absolutely. That not. is a notion that a lot of people had for oh, hundreds I, of years. So oh, absolutely. I want to dispossess you of that notion if you have it. We are not re-sacrificing Jesus. I had a, a friend when I was a kid growing up, and I guess I've always been a religious nerd, but you know, he challenged <laughs> me. I mean, we're, we're, we're kids and we're playing. He's like, yeah, you, you, know, you guys, why do, why do you re-sacrifice Jesus every week? I'm like, Oh no! I go and run off to my priest the next day, and I'm like, "Oh no! This is what I heard." And the priest was like, "Ah!" And he explained what you just explained. That yeah, we're not re-sacrificing; we are participating in the one singular sacrifice. That's right. That's right. So, some Christians, not all Christians, uh, but some Christians actually receive the Eucharist every day. Yeah. And some don't receive it every Sunday when they go. That's right. They'll come to church and not receive it. Mm-hmm. Yeah, great and, point. And some don't. And some don't receive it at all. That's yeah. not part of their uh, their customer mm-hmm. practice. So, so what does that tell us about how we spiritually prepare for the Eucharist? Right. I ra- I raise. I want to hear what you say too, Sarah, about mm-hmm. the ones who don't receive. But I raise the point about those who receive every day because, for some people, the Eucharist is such a central part of their personal faith understanding faith life that they do choose to find a church or congregation where they can receive more often than on sundays right it is all christians responsibility to participate in the community to be at church on sundays but some christians choose to participate in the eucharist more often than that right and 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 i'm gonna offer you two thoughts as uh, that would support that as uh, theologically relevant, right? Mm-hmm. The first is that we are in the midst of what we would refer to as the new exodus that's been inaugurated by Jesus. Mm-hmm. So the original exodus, they went through the desert led by Moses for 40 years, and the manna rained down every day. Mm-hmm. And they ate. It didn't rain down on the Sabbath day, though. There was a double portion the day before the Sabbath. That's they right. scooped that up, and they had enough to get them through the Sabbath. But they had to eat it every day, and it mm-hmm. stopped, according to Joshua chapter 5, as soon as they got into the promised land, and they could harvest and, and that kind of thing. So if if the body and blood of Christ is the new manna, the heavenly manna, then why would we not want to receive it every day? I think, I think right. we would. The second point that I would, I would make is that when Jesus teaches his disciples, including us, how to pray— one of the things that he says in the Lord's Prayer is, give us this day our daily, daily bread. bread. Now, there's a lot of debate about that word daily in there because there was a Greek word that was used and it was the first time it had been seen. Um, and there's a um, theory that the correct translation instead of daily would be supernatural bread. Give us this supernatural bread, mm. um, which, of course, would be pointing also to the, the Holy Eucharist. Mm-hmm. So... There's no harm in not receiving every day. Right. But there is, there is, so if you're going to receive every day, that then does become a spiritual discipline, right? Absolutely. You got to show up every day. That's, you know, depending on how long the service is, a half an hour to an hour of your day, every day. Yeah. That's well, a serious goodness, commitment. I would hope it wouldn't be more than a half hour on the daily, for daily Eucharist. Depends on the church. Yeah, I guess it does. Yeah. <laughs> you know, like, my friends, they don't receive every single Sunday. They go to church every Sunday. Yeah. They receive it like Christmas, Easter. Yeah. And I guess it's so that it doesn't re- become repetitive and it stays special for them. But I don't really understand it in a way yeah. either. Well, we looked um, at this in our prayer book class. Yeah. The the taking Eucharist every week did drop out of Episcopal and Anglican history for a long time. Um, it was it kind of 
faded away, partially because of clergy shortages, partially for other reasons, I think. You might have to correct me on that if I'm wrong. But um, I, think, I think that, uh, that uh, practice of uh, receiving occasionally is in our spiritual history, if not mm-hmm. even in our spiritual DNA. And so it, it does uh, bode some reflection. I think that if we are being serious about taking communion, the possibility that we might come to church and not want to receive, not feel like we should receive is a valid possibility, Mm -hmm. right? Because that could indicate to us that we might not be in love and charity with our neighbor. That might indicate to us that we are not uh, in right relationship with God at that moment, that we need to seek, that we need to do some work before we are ready to receive. Now, on the other hand, it might be that by going to church anyways, despite those feelings, by um, showing up anyways, even though we don't feel worthy or don't feel right, that we might receive the grace from the Eucharist of forgiveness of our sins, right? We confess before we take the Eucharist. It might be that we receive healing in our relationship with God and experience God's presence um, in that moment when we do choose to receive in spite of a feeling of unworthiness or not today or whatever, right? Those are both possibilities for you, the listener, in your personal experience. Now, there's there's another aspect of the spiritual discipline, and I know that we're getting close to our time, but we're talking about receiving Holy Eucharist. Mm -hmm. What about that experience of being a Eucharistic minister Mm -hmm. and offering the Eucharist, right? I remember the first time I actually had an opportunity to offer to be a a Eucharistic minister, a, a limb, Mm-hmm. And to offer the Eucharist to someone was such a powerfully moving experience. That's right. Um, and I remember two things. I remember giving it to my family, whom I love and adore and cherish, and feeling a strong spiritual connection in that. Mm-hmm. And then I also remember giving it to someone that I really did not like. <laughs> and feeling a spiritual healing. Because mm. in the nanosecond between my placing that Eucharistic bread in their hands, um, you know, God, the living God in the Eucharist is the bridge that is connecting my soul and that person's soul. That's right. And offering the Eucharist, serving as a limb, has really opened up uh, my eyes, my mind, and my heart um, to mm. greater forgiveness as we provide the spiritual food to the people who are hungry. That's right. Well, this is already a long episode, obviously. Um, the <laughs> Eucharist is the central, is the principal act of worship in the Christian faith, and as such, it is so full of meaning and richness and deserves to be treated as holy, as set apart. Um, and I think that that's a good summary of our conversation, right, is that the Eucharist is holy, and there is uh, discipline to receiving it regularly or irregularly. There is discipline to how we prepare for it, whether that's by fasting, reading scripture, silent prayer, what have you, um, praying after we receive it. There is discipline in terms of the moral preparation, being in right relationship with God and with each other uh, before we receive. Well, that's I all think, I, I think it's, part yeah, of it. That's right, and I think it's worth saying that, um, you know, I was saying that there were some things that came out of COVID that, that gave us uh, an awareness of our hunger for the Eucharist, mm. um, but it also is a warning too, right? Because we've moved to a hybrid model. So watching the service online is good and helpful, That's but right. really missing out on something because you're not there to receive, to take, to eat, to consume. That's right. I will say that for those who might be listening in the Lynchburg, Virginia area, 
We at St. John celebrate Holy Eucharist weekly on Sundays at 8 a.m. and 10.30 a.m. And then again in the middle of the week, and it's in the middle of the day in the middle of the week. It's a great way to remember it, right? Mm -hmm. Right in the middle of the day, in the middle of your week, 12.10 p.m. in our chapel. Mm -hmm. Please come and join us and receive Holy Eucharist. That's right. Next week, uh, I'm going to give, I'm going to roll the dice here. I'm going to give the topics for the next two because it's 9 and 10. Um, so next week, we're going to talk about Sabbath, which is the practice of rest uh, one day a week. And we'll talk about what that means in, from the biblical tradition and the Christian tradition as well. Um, and in our last episode, we're going to tie the whole season together. And we're going to talk about creating a rule of life. Wow. wow. <laughs> <laughs> I don't think I have one of those yet, man. <laughs> That's all right. We're going to talk about it. And we're going to... You don't, no, you don't I have like some personal rules, but like my, I'm only 22. I don't know what my life is gonna look like yet. I well, and that's a, a great thing. Life. You can make a rule of life, and you can change it. I'm such a stickler to rules, though. Yeah. Well, we'll, we'll, we'll what, talk about it in two episodes. Ben and I, we'll we'll make up a list, and we'll tell you how to live. Okay. Sounds good. <laughs> no, sounds I'm just good. kidding. Oh, <laughs> no. We don't have it figured out, folks. <laughs> we're just like eh, we're just we're just that's right. trying to uh, faithfully live all this out. So. All right. So catch us next week to talk about the Sabbath. We'll see y'all next week. Awesome. Bye, Bye everybody. Bye.